And now the end is near. We have talked a lot of weird shit. Yes, hello and welcome to... Bit weird, but fair enough, I guess... The season finale. Yes, this is the last episode this season. It's been a wild ride, hasn't it? Uh, yes, we may do a couple of specials later in the year, but at this stage, not sure if we're coming back for another season next year. I'll have to decide how how we feel about that a bit later. But thank you to Matt, Ben, Sam Pet, Davian Dent, and of course Monty for guesting this season. So what have we learnt this season? Alright, we learnt that more animals are immortal than you might expect. We heard about a couple of unlikely survival tales and some weird movie stuff. We learnt in the Battle of Pelusium that Persian invaders used cats in battle to deter the Egyptians from fighting them as Egyptians saw cats as sacred. We heard about a travelling executioner, what kind of deals you can get for shrunken heads, someone with two sets of DNA, spam being a delicacy that is given as a gift in South Korea, Arctic ear wrestling, uh, piss-weak comic book characters, and the lengths people had to go to to become famous before TV and Instagram were around. So that's all a bit weird, but our eternal question here is, is it fair enough? If anyone ever talked to me on social media, we could have a bit of a discussion about it there, but no one ever does. So farts to that. There are some things that we didn't get to that I would have liked to have discussed, of course, like bone conduction, which was created by Beethoven, who found out after he was deaf that if he fixed a metal rod to his piano and bit down on it, he could hear through the vibrations in his jaw. Huh. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Great Smog of London, which was a weather event that saw one of the thickest fogs ever combining with some of the worst air pollution ever to create a smog that sat over London for five days in 1952 and killed a lot of people. Uh, The government in 1952 put the death count down to around 4,000. Modern estimations put it between 10 and 20,000. Yeah, I mean, you know, these are all things we might get to another time if we come back for another season, but who knows? Anyway, I thought I might leave you this season with something that I found a bit weird. And the bit weird element, I guess, is why this person wrote this article at all. So it's Monty telling me about an article he read entitled The Unluckiest Man Ever. So, yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to leave you with that this season. But before I do, I just felt a little bit like... Summarizing our season in song. Thanks, everyone, and farewell. We told you about Secret Service dudes Who need to eat healthier foods The toast that has a picture of you And laws against Winnie the Pooh 
Wanting to turn inside bookshops Cats that sound like demons, yeah Living in a bit weird world Comic book characters that are lame And giving birth to rabbits for fame Two sets of DNA in one man And giving gift boxes of spam Watching a rodeo clown fuck But only if you are not a horse, yeah Living in a bit weird world So I found a story that uh, is called Tragic End for World's Unluckiest Man, Paul Murphy He was known as the world's unluckiest man, but Paul Murphy's life appeared to have turned a corner. That was until his last bit of bad luck. (laughs) This is pretty close to the top of, like, a news website. Yeah. Okay, so, this is going to take a while, but bear with me, it's good. (laughs) Paul first came to public notice aged 55 after he lost his teeth during a rare beer out with friends in July 2013. Okay, hang on. So, can I stop you there immediately? Yeah. The world's unluckiest man... Didn't start being unlucky until 55. First thing of note in his life well, at age 55. No, you wait. That was when he came to the public's attention. Oh, I see. You he was find, unlucky. You'll find out. He was unlucky behind closed Some doors. Some of the unlucky is just it's quite sad and tragic things, so it's not unlucky, really. <laughs> he didn't drink much because he couldn't afford it on his pension, and more recently, in the years leading up to his death, he didn't drink at all. All right, well, that's not funny. No, but back then, he still liked the odd beer, and after he became too drunk... He fell over and lost his dentures. The false teeth didn't fall out of his mouth, but out of his pocket, where he had placed them for safekeeping because they hurt too much to wear. They had hurt ever since he'd been struck in the face during a home invasion at his housing commission flat in Redfern. Uh, is that is that unlucky? That feels tragic. <laughs> but but also the unluckiness if it's if we're calling it luck, it's the kind of thing that's probably happened to a lot of people. Yeah. You so, get a home invasion, and the cops just show up and say, oh, it's unlucky for you. Yeah. <laughs> We've never heard of this before. Yeah. How, you're an unlucky well, fella. Some guy came into your house and punched you and took your stuff. How unlucky for you. Um, after searching for his teeth to no avail, he made up a oh. poster which said, lost dentures, upper and lower, owner far too drunk, fell over a few too many times, I am a pensioner. Hey, is this on a poster? Yeah. Why do you need to, like, how big, is this A3? <laughs> How big is this? I am a pensioner and desperately need my teeth. Reward offered. He put up the poster on telegraph poles and received a text from someone saying they'd found them. But and alas, someone else must have lost their dentures because they weren't poor. <laughs> there we go. That's sort of unlucky. That's unlucky. That's sort but of unlucky. But also, can I just go back to the poster? Yeah. Is it going to make people want to help you more if you tell them that you were just a drunk idiot? It's a quite, it's a quite wordy poster. Yeah. But how's that help? Like, uh, people go, just say you lost him, mate. Why do we need all the backstory? I don't know. (laughs) Um, He was still hoping they would be returned when news.com.au saw his poster and contacted him, beginning a friendship and the discovery of the amazing story of his life. So he was friends with this news website, and that's how they found out about his life. Now, I don't know. I started reading this. I didn't read further because I wanted us to discover this together. To me, the oh, beginning. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. To me, the beginning just sounds tragic, not unlucky. Okay, here we go. Paul had a sister, 
and they had grown up in southern Sydney in not uncomfortable circumstances. Paul had attended Blakehurst High School, but because he was dyslexic... That's pretty unlucky. I know, Blakehurst sucks. Mm. Yeah. But because he was dyslexic and it was the 1970s, he didn't do well at school and didn't get help. Okay. That seems like systemic failure, not unlike. Also, not particularly pertaining to a decade, I would have thought. Also, once again, you go to the doctor, oh, you're dyslexic, how unlucky for you. That's, that's really unlucky. Um, Blakehurst High also had a heroin dealer among its pupils and Paul started using. Great. Is that unlucky? That's a poor choice. I don't know if luck comes into necessarily making poor choices. Well, the way they put it, it's like Blakehurst High also had a heroin dealer among their students. That was unlucky that he chose a school that had a heroin dealer. He was dyslexic and there was a heroin dealer? (laughs) How could these two things actually happen at the same time? To him, they deal Nielre. Oh, yeah, nice. Good good one. a written joke. But 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 also, you know, making fun of dyslexic people. Unfortunately, his parents had enough money. Unfortunately, his parents had... Are you now ironically having trouble reading this article? Not having... (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, his parents had enough money to pay for one of the few treatment centres for drug addicts back then. Okay, that's not unfortunate. That's fortunate. I think we're going to learn why it's unfortunate. Oh, yeah, okay, sorry, excuse that's me. That's all right. No, but I agree with you, but then I looked a little further. <laughs> Kelmsford Private I'm just hospital. telling you, I've got a fortunate and unfortunate uh, and this feels like that- neither column going. I'm just starting to tick things off I know. Here. This feels like that time when Homer gets the cursed ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> I was just yeah, that's right? good. That's bad. That's bad. Um, Dr. Harry Bailey subjected patients to his new electroconvulsive treatment known as deep sleep therapy. Mm. He treated patients with a range of disorders from schizophrenia and depression to anorexia and alcohol and drug addiction. And of the 27 resulting patient deaths, 24 were from suicide. That's not good. (laughs) I don't know if that's unlucky, but it's not good. Many of those who survived remained haunted and broken. (laughs) This is not unlucky. Kelmsford Hospital, which was investigated by a royal commission in the late 1980s, would become notorious for its dangerous psychiatric malpractice. Bailey's invention was a cocktail of barbiturates to put patients into a coma for up to 39 days while also administering electroconvulsive therapy. Shit. Yeah. Jeez. Now, this is where you get a bit unlucky. (laughs) Finally. Paul received 42 electric shock treatments over a 14-day stay, and it didn't eradicate his heroin addiction. (laughs) That's unlucky. Is that unlucky, though? (laughs) Oh, damn, I got the electric and it didn't help. All right. Our 13 zaps didn't work. You know what will work? 14 (laughs) zaps. And now here's where the article takes uh, It feels like, you know, scene missing. So Paul received 42 electric shock treatments over 14. It didn't eradicate his heroin addiction. But he managed to become a car valuer, which would lead to his first issue with his teeth. Hang on, what? <laughs> so that, uh, that, that actually confused me yeah. very much. So uh, who's does it? Do we have a name for who wrote this article? I want to know how, how they made. I want to know how they made that leap from Candace Sutton. Candace Sutton. Yeah, we're calling you out, Candace. Name sounds familiar. I might have read some of her stuff before. But hang on. (laughs) Read me back that paragraph. It's just the great way it goes from one to the other. So he says... I wish those swoopy boys would keep it down outside. Fuck, I got swooped yesterday. Did you? First time of the year. Yeah, I was riding my bike. The worst thing is they're not going to hurt you, really, but you freak out. 
Well, they can nip your ear. Yeah, they nip your ear, but like in reality, I'd hurt myself more falling off my bike by freaking out <laughs> than, you know what I mean. Fair enough. So here's where it gets in. Paul received 42 electro- electric shock treatments over a 14-day stay, and it didn't eradicate his heroin addiction. Yeah. Seen missing, <laughs> but he managed to become a car valuer. <laughs> And then this is also an interesting But also, sentence. what's that saying about the profession of car valuing? Yeah, like, he managed to be, <laughs> Even with electric shock treatment and heroin after addiction, being zapped, you too can be a car valuer. After being zapped 42 times, the uh, obvious choice was to become a car valuer. <laughs> um, which would lead to his first issue with his teeth. We go back to the teeth. Mm, okay. In 1976, he drove a classic GT. Falcon. Was he was he biting the cars to test whether they were really cars? Well, because he was fucked up on the smack, didn't yeah. know how to value a car other than with his teeth. <laughs> yeah, twenty thousand. Uh, in 1976, he drove a classic GT Falcon at high speed into the airport tunnel and smashed into another car. Okay. So so far, Is not that, unlucky. His high speed driving yeah. probably smacked off his teeth yeah. into a tunnel. Yeah. Paul's top front teeth had to be replaced by $7,000 worth of caps. Yeah. A series of speeding fines ended with him losing his licence and his job as a car valuer. Oh, no. He's got to be zapped some more times to get that back. Uh, So, Paul became a car detailer. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now, I want to point out here, because I've just seen a picture of Paul. Paul bugger looks like he's having a rough go. I'm not trying to make fun of Paul. We're not not saying he hasn't had a rough go. No, but I don't think it's unlucky. (laughs) Not particularly unlucky. Yeah. One day at his car detailing business, he had a car detailing business. That's pretty good. Yeah. Which was next to a funeral parlour. Paul was working on some expensive vehicles for clients. Right. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen here. I want to know why the funeral parlour was suddenly mentioned. Oh, dude, this gets great. Unbeknown to him, the corpse of a dead gang boss was lying in the parlour next door in preparation for the man's funeral. And? That night, <laughs> in a drive-by attack... Someone, presumably an enemy of the gang boss, firebombed the funeral parlour. Hang on, what? Yet to double dead him. <laughs> that guy's not dead enough. Need to really dead this dead body. Holy shit. This is a pretty crazy story. So, man. so, how? Okay. <sighs> no, go on. Just go on. Yeah, like well, that- here we go. It gets better. And also presumably an enemy of the gang boss or someone who just hated funeral parlours. Also setting a light to Paul's car detailing business, which was a few weeks behind on its insurance payments. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting, Paul. Well, why mention that, Candice? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yes, all right. Then I think it becomes obvious why you would try and burn someone who is already dead. Also, I want to point out that this the writing style is really good. All of these things I read to you are little paragraphs. Yeah. It's not like... They're, they're, like a timeline. <laughs> yeah. The next one is a good one. It's just one sentence. Paul's response was to immediately turn back to heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds calculated. Yeah. Between 1986 and 2005, it's a long time, he would be in and out of five different prisons on heroin charges and for bodgy loans. Yes, bodgy. bodgy. Yeah, B-O-D-G-Y. Is that, is, that, is that two levels up from dodgy? Yeah, bodgy. You get dodgy, then codgy. Dodgy. <laughs> bodgy. Forging bank papers to steal money. The drugs destroyed the teeth he had left, and then jail <laughs> dentists wrecked the rest. This Wait, writing. What? I'm loving this writing style. <laughs> the drug, yeah. The drugs. It's blaming the drugs. Yeah. Thing. The drugs destroyed the teeth he had left, and then jail dentists wrecked the rest. 
Jail Dentists. Yeah, is that a... I don't know what that is. It's a brilliant bloody TV series yeah. we need to write. Jail That's Dentists. For sure. Yeah, an obdoc. Yeah, yeah. Um, and eventually all but one of his teeth were removed. That's when he got dentures. Oh, I thought you were going to say that's when he got mad. This is... After, <laughs> after his last prison stretch in 2005, he decided he would never take drugs or commit a crime again. All right. So it's good that's that good. he... Kind of came around to it fairly quickly. Yeah, the teeth and the, the fire bombing. He eventually said, "Yeah, that's enough." A double dead gangster. He had started taking <laughs> methadone in prison and resist the urge to switch switch back to heroin on his release. Oh, good, good, good willpower. Yeah, he started earning money doing odd jobs and restoring old furniture. And in two thousand nine, moved into the housing commission flats here, where he would spend the next ten years. Mm-hmm. En route to his new home, he's walking down a red fern lane. When a convertible slowed down beside him, a teenager standing in the back of the vehicle swung a baseball bat and smashed into his shoulder. Okay. That's unlucky. Finally. Something unlucky. unlucky. (laughs) That is unlucky. Yeah. Yeah. Poor him. It's just walking down the street. Jesus Christ, we've got a lot of this left. It was the first of many hospital days to fall. On New Year's Day 2011, he was standing innocently on a footpath near his home when a motorbike rider sped through the lights and struck him. Breaking his collarbone, collarbone again, shoulder, sternum, and seven ribs. Okay, so that's unlucky. That's unlucky, yeah. He used a payout from the accident to upgrade his television, buy a computer, stereo, new tools, and electric push bike to travel to his handyman job. Hang on. Again, the writing. He needs a television to travel to his... Like, it just sounds like all those things oh, are needed to travel. Oh, you went to the writing? I went to another place. Yeah. Did they investigate a link potentially between the guy riding the motorbike and our mate Paul over <laughs> here? Because first of all, he's had the firebombing when he was a couple of yeah. weeks behind on the insurance. That's right. Now he's used some compo money to get all this stuff. All right. But then do we... Not suggesting anything. But hasn't, it wasn't a link in the chain here, the guy in the back with a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. Was that a rogue element or was that part of the plan <laughs> as well? <laughs> Maybe he got some compo from that. Life was going well. Was it? <laughs> Hang on, stop. Yeah, Is yeah. that a line in the yeah. article? After he used, I suppose it's after he got the payout money and bought Because well, he bought a TV and a scooter. An electric push bike, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Life was going bike. well, but one weekend when he went to Oberon to spend time with a Christian man who was teaching him handyman skills. What? 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 If, if, if that bloke being Christian isn't relevant in the next two sentences... I'm going to ring Candace up. Surely, <laughs> surely some kind of uh, religion-related terrorism is going to occur now. To, okay, it has all to. right, I'll shut up. Oberon, to spend time with a Christian man who was teaching him handyman skills, Paul's flat was broken into and everything taken. Okay. That's it. So the Christian man didn't come back. Maybe, maybe it's miswritten by Candace. Maybe it was a man called Christian. <laughs> or... She had a big paragraph about why about him being Christian and the sub-editor just went, oh, we don't need all this. <laughs> the next one, the next one of these points is, is unlucky right. and kind of, kind of like irony and funny. He installed a steel door, but in 2012, <laughs> when he was fixing the lock on the door, three men in balaclavas stormed into his flat <laughs> and struck him in the face with a steel bar <coughs> and gone for his teeth again. Hang on. But, but again, I, I need to go back to the writing. What's this? What? Installed a steel door. Why does it matter? It still got bashed the fuck in yeah. by these guys. Well, 
Well, he was fixing the lock on the door. That's, <laughs> so what? That's, the, that's unlucky. That, oh. that's, they knocked out the one remaining tooth he had, which anchored his oh, dentures. No. Yeah. That's, was that deliberate, do you think? Uh, I'm starting to feel like he's kind of getting complimented. But as Paul later revealed with a smile to news.com.au. Oh, well, what kind of... Wow, that look. Single tooth. British smile. The robbers only got his mobile phone and $40 because my laptop was down the side of the couch. Okay. That's lucky. Yeah, that's kind of lucky. <laughs> In 2013, after... Oh, fuck, we're only up to 2013. <laughs> after Paul revealed his story, news.com.au asked if he was the world's unluckiest man. And with a rueful smile, he agreed. About that, Yeah. Oh, so, I think so that's this the is premise of this whole yeah. article that one reporter yeah. asked him once whether he was the unluckiest man. His Moorhead street flat was packed with items he'd found discarded and which he was repairing. On the wall was a photo of a younger Paul with a pretty girl. That was two different paragraphs, those two. One paragraph is, on the wall was a photo of a younger Paul with a pretty girl. We were going to get married, but she ran off with someone, Paul said. With my best friend, actually, so I lost them both. That's unlucky. Paul couldn't afford the $2,650 it was going to cost him in 2013 for a new set of dentures. But his story touched the hearts of readers whose response was overwhelming. People responded to Paul Murphy's story and his good humour despite all his misfortune on Facebook and Twitter by emailing pledges of financial support. They deposited money into Paul's bank account from around Australia and around the world. Then, news.com.au accompanied Paul to an appointment with a dental prosthesis in southern Sydney for a step to getting a new set of dentures. The generosity of people and their kind words had Paul in tears. That sounds pretty lucky. I stayed in touch with Paul in the years afterwards and paid him to do a handyman job, as he did for other people around Redfern, like retired restaurateurs Janice and Raymond Kirsch, who once ran Edna's Table. But Paul's bad luck didn't stop. Here we go. Oh, okay. And to I was be wondering honest, when we we're going to get back to the bodgy stuff. And to be honest, the new dentures never really fit all that well. <laughs> no, what? Uh, sorry. Oh, the next one is great. <laughs> I didn't mean to laugh. That's not very. This, nice. this next single sentence paragraph is a roller coaster of emotions. All right. Paul contracted cancer, but uh, recovered. Hang on. Contracted cancer? Yeah. I don't think you can. I don't that, think you could contract cancer. Well, he was too close to someone else who had cancer. Is that how that worked? Candace needs to do more research Candace? into that. Maybe you contract cancer. What else would you be? Diagnosed with cancer. You just get cancer. Develop cancer. Yeah. Well, it's not really how it's phrased, but contracting, I'm pretty sure, is catching it off somebody else. Paul contracted cancer, but recovered. He continued to be a magnet for robbers and bad drivers, having at least four of the electric bikes he fixed stolen, and having his leg broken after a car struck him in the side. <sighs> Drug dealers in the crime-riddled Moorhead Street building continued to knock off his flat or ambush him and steal his wallet. He got a new... May I I jump in here? Can you contract cancer? To contract a disease means to catch or acquire an illness through the exposure to a contagious pathogen. Yeah, so... Oh, hang on. Oh, fuck. However, one may also contract a disease that is non-communicable, such as cancer. There you go. So, so Candace was right. For a second she was wrong, but good on you, No, no, Candace. no, no, no. But, so what does that mean? Like, why bother saying to contract a disease is to catch it off someone or not? <laughs> Contracting <laughs> means whatever you want it to mean. Yeah. Um, drug dealer, uh, he had got a new, this continues for a while. Uh, drug dealers, uh, he had got a new steel door and his latest electric bike was secured by a series of chains and locks. 
One day, he answered a knock on his door and opened it only to have a man in a balaclava squirt fuel on his arm and then set it alight. That's upsetting. Another scar. Are are we meant to believe that these are all just random acts and not kind of intertwined to things that he may have done in his past like the being addicted to heroin and doing a few secu- um, insurance jobs well that, or just generally being in the kind of red ferny underworld yeah. for a period of many years lived in the moorhead flats pretty <laughs> hefty yeah another scar was added to paul murphy's body but his spirit wasn't broken and he continued to smile through the bad luck Still, I don't know if it's luck. But he was determined to get away from Redfern. And late last year, after many <laughs> attempts thwarted by bureaucrats, he moved to a ground floor flat in Clempton Park. Why did the bureaucrats want poor Paul, the unluckiest man in the world, to stay in Redfern? Uh, well, they wanted to, like, they were hoping he might be able to uh, double dead some other gangsters that they had on there. Oh, yeah, you got to watch out for yeah. the double deading. The new place said, Paul said what, and then this is in quotes. The new place, Paul said, here's the quotes, was beautiful. End quote. That's the end of the quote. And only lacked an air conditioner. That's Candace saying that, (laughs) not Paul. (laughs) Paul worked odd jobs, continuing, repaired my fence, painted, gardened and fixed to supplement his pension and save up for the air con. Mm. As he had always said, it's a battle. This is in quotes. It's a battle. On the pension, you need every cent. but But you do what you can. Along the way, Paul had developed a heart condition and high blood pressure. That's unlucky. Is it maybe because of his previous heroin use? Who knows? His condition was such that his ankles were so swollen with fluid he couldn't wear shoes. And he complained he couldn't keep weight on. Except around his ankles, I suppose. (laughs) He still rode the 15 kilometres from his Biara Avenue flat into Redfern to work and earn money. Why is he going back to Redfern? Thought he really wanted to get out of Redfern. Surely, Surely there's a link between Redfern and some troubles. The medication for his blood pressure often made him drowsy. And when he went to sleep, he wasn't sleeping well. Okay. How much more has this article got? Like, haven't we... Like, we get it. Oh, we're pretty close. We're pretty <laughs> close. I want to see what happens at the Why end. Why didn't Candace save this for a book? This could be a book. A, a novella. <laughs> the medication for his blood... Yeah. Just over three weeks ago, in the early hours of August 29, Paul Murphy was awake and hungry and decided to cook some chips. Oh, I don't know. I don't like where this is going. He must have fallen asleep midway through the mm. cooking. Neighbours called the fire brigade and officers broke the door and entered around 5.30am. Hang on, not the steel door. Well, that door obviously hasn't done any of its <laughs> okay, job the whole right. time. Uh, unconscious on the floor was Paul Murphy. This is surprising. 62. I thought he would have been a bit older than that with all that's happened to him, but no, only 62. Who the firefighters moved out of the, out of the flat, they commenced CPR news. Paranoid took over. Instead of holding a funeral service... Instead of holding a funeral service, Paul's friend Jason and his sister Tracy are planning a memorial on a boat from which they will scatter Paul's ashes on the Cooks River in weeks to come. Hmm. Vale, Paul Murphy. Vale. Yeah, I say Vale. <laughs> Vicky Vale. <laughs> um, Stop the press. Who is that? Look, I, I don't want to insult Paul Murphy. I, like, poor bugger sounds like a hard trod, but, like, maybe unlucky. I do want to insult Candace. This is a bizarre. So it sounds like the... The premise of the story is that a, a reporter once asked him if he was the unluckiest man alive, and he said, "Yeah, I, go, I guess, I guess so. so." Yeah, yeah, didn't even really confirm. <laughs> and that, that was the basis of that. Whole Can I also time. point out here? 
They will scatter Paul's ashes on the Cooks River in weeks to come. Have you been to the Cooks River lately? It's a drain. Yeah, it's not pristine in it, any way. It's it, not a natural beauty. No, it's literally what a drain. What are they going to do? It next a Merrifield golf course? Like, like, like <laughs> gross, dude. Give him at least, you know, the Hawkesbury River or something. Well, what's the closest? Is there a kind of, I don't know, pond in Redfern? In the, in the park. Oh, yeah. Is there a water feature in that park somewhere? Mm-hmm. There probably is. Oh, there's a pool oh, in there. Scatter it <laughs> scatter up. Scatter it in the pool. Yeah, there you go. Someone had that done, didn't they? That's a very good Maybe question. Maybe Rusty Crow asked to have that done after he died. Yeah. Why does Rusty love South so much? Well, because he owns them. But, okay. Or why does he own them? Chicken and egg scenario. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> which, which, why? Uh, he's a Kiwi, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was his first... Attempt at, you know, um, discovering and, um, you know, adopting Australian culture. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it was around the because when did he come over? Eighties. Pretty sure that must have been around the rabbits 80s. won the Panasonic Cup round about then. There you go. Good eighties rabbits team. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. He's doing romper stomper. That, probably when they were sponsored by Smith's Crisps. Romper stomper was ninety two. Was it that late? Was it? Yeah. Oh, it must have been. Do you know my story? I've told it on our other podcast. You've played uh, table tennis with him. Indeed. At, during him. Romper Stomper filming or, so, or around no, that time? No, it was after the Romper Stomper filming. It was a Christmas party for the production company. Okay. <laughs> what happened? I'm sorry to have shocked you like that. No, I'm just getting a lot of weird buzzing and so on. I assume it's because your phone's just there. I'll move my phone and just get a glass of water. Okay. Right. So, and then we can move on to this. Oh, that was great fun.